0: Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. Hello, this is Pastor Mark A. Stroud, and I thank you so much for joining me for another broadcast right here on Kingdom Rock Radio. Well, today I've got a very special treat for you. We had Sharon Sewell. She is a dynamic teacher of the Word of God, and she is speaking from the subject of understanding the blood covenant oh my lord understanding the blood covenant every born-again believer needs to hear and understand that you have a covenant with god and the word covenant means agreement I'm telling you, it's something that is written in the blood of Jesus that God will not turn away from. This is awesome. And this is an awesome message, a three part series that you have to hear. So share it with a neighbor, share it with a friend. They've got to know about their covenant rights in Christ. So this is the final part of the series. This is part number three. Enjoy.
1: Last week, we began looking at the covenant that God cut with Abraham and his seed, capital S and lowercase s, because descendants of Abraham were included as well. So we went on to begin looking to see if the traditional customs for cutting covenant are seen in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so first we saw the exchange of robes, which symbolizes putting on one another. And we are to put on Christ, and Christ was clothed with our likeness when He put on humanity. So we have exchanged character with Him. Think about that. He has mine, I have His. Secondly, we exchanged belts or girdles with Him, and that belt symbolized strength. So He has given me His strength, and He has taken my strength. Then we exchanged weapons. This represents the exchange of enemies, and God is going to defend those who are in covenant with Him from their enemies, from our enemies. So vengeance belongs to Him. That gives added significance to that verse. I think vengeance belongs to the Lord, and He will repay. Since that is His job, then I'm to bless my enemies. I will let him deal with them while I obey him and bless them. I am to deal with God's enemy, and God's enemy is Satan. And anything to do with loving the world or with Satan's kingdom, I don't, I have to be careful not to contribute anything to that. I don't want to help him in any way. I want to be in covenant, uh, act out my covenant with the Lord Jesus, and so. Uh, it's my job to deal with God's enemy and His territory. And that's kind of what he was talking about when he says, Love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those things are the things I have to watch. And that way I do warfare with Satan. Then there's the walk into death. You'll remember that covenant partners walk between the pieces of a sacrificed animal. And in Genesis 15, we saw God walk through the pieces. And so how do we do that? Well, last week we looked that when Jesus Christ yielded up His Spirit and um, died, the veil in the temple that had separated mankind from the presence of God was torn in two from top to bottom. It was split. And Hebrews tells us that that veil Represented Christ's flesh. And so the Passover lamb was ripped in two by faith, by symbol, and you and I enter the presence of Holy God by walking through that split veil. It was the sacrifice of Jesus that makes us able to enter God's presence. And when we walk through that veil, then that's a picture of us entering the presence of God by walking through that. And so there's no other way to enter the presence of God except through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. And that's the picture of that. So when we walk into God's presence, we walk through the pieces of flesh. Then we exchange resources. All that is mine has become His. And all that is His has become mine. He promised to meet all of my needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So my time, my abilities, all that I have, those things are at His disposal. And we share as either of us has a need that the other can meet. So when the Lord needs me to do something, what do I do? Do it. And when I need something from the Lord in covenant, what's He going to do? He's going to do it. All right? Then the covenant cut has been sealed. When the covenant cut is made, blood is mingled together to show that the two have become one. The two lives are held in common. And so then they would do something to cause that scar, cause that cut to make a scar, so that it would be a reminder of the covenant. So Jesus' covenant scars are in His hands and His feet and His side. And as we confess... Messiah Jesus as Lord and Savior, then His Spirit will circumcise our hearts. He sees that covenant cut because it is the work that He does on our hearts. Now, to continue, that's where we stopped last week. Let's pick up right there and go on and look at the next step, which is the exchange of names. I think this is probably um, much richer than than I know than I can see right now. But one thing for sure, if in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 17, there's a good bit of talk about uh, the Lord in heaven giving us names. And um, in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 17, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. So somewhere the Lord's going to give us a new name. In the meantime, we are known as Christians. I take the name of Christ. We call it Christians. In the um, I think uh, I've been told that in the New Testament it was a name uh, that was supposed to be insulting by the people who used it. They would call the people Christians, but they named them because they were like Christ. And that's always going to be offensive to the world. So when we are saved, we become known as a Christian, or in our language we call it Christian. Then there is a covenant meal. I'm going to turn to Matthew chapter 26, 26. And beginning in verse 26. The covenant meal. Let's look at this. Matthew 26, verse 26. And while they were eating. Now this is, uh, the, Jesus uh, is, there. this is the last supper. They're in the upper room and Jesus has directed them as to how they prepare the meal. But skip down to verse 26. And while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And remember in the covenant meal they would say, Eat, you are eating me. So there's the symbol. You are eating me. So what did the bread signify? Signified the body of Jesus. And when he had given, when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink from it. All of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Now, God had told the Jews not to drink blood. So they're using a symbol of blood. They're using wine. And so here's the bread and here's the wine. So they understood that this was a covenant meal. They knew that Jesus was inviting them, entering into covenant with them. He was allowing them to enter into covenant with Him. Now, I want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and listen to this in light of what you've learned about a covenant relationship and about the blood covenant. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, in order that those who are approved may have become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in your eating each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. So they have started abusing the covenant meal. See that? What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? And this I will not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night which He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, remember me in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many of you are weak and sick and a number sleep. And that means that some had died. They weren't just home in the bed, okay? A number of, they had died because they had wrongly participated. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that you may not come together for judgment. And the remaining matters I shall arrange when I come. So what's he saying? Jesus instituted the new covenant in his blood when he celebrated the final Passover with his disciples. Paul was dealing with a problem of drunkenness and gluttony at the Lord's Supper. And so he instructed them to examine themselves before they took it, to be sure they were taking it for the right reason, with the right understanding. And so when they partook of the bread and the wine, they were remembering the Lord's death for their sin. So it is a time to grieve over sin, but to be thankful that the Lord has forgiven that sin, that He died for that sin. So when Jesus took the bread and the cup at that last supper, it was not foreign to the Jews. The disciples knew exactly what He was talking about. They understood the Tradition, they knew covenant, and so they knew what he was doing. They understood it, it was part of their culture. So, when you and I, as believers, partake of the Lord's Supper, we're participating in a covenant meal. We are remembering the covenant that has been cut, that we have entered into with God Himself. And so, we with the Lord are in covenant together. We're to do it how often? He said you do this until I come again. And so, we become one with Christ by sharing and and we so identify with him that we can say with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. And yet no longer I, but Christ liveth in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by The faith which is in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we are one with him. We are in him. We died when he died. All right. So there is no longer a barrier between this yearning, loving, trusting heart and the presence of God. The veil has been removed. We can walk through those pieces into God's presence. And so now, instead of an altar of sacrifice, we have a table of communion. Communion with the Lord. So we have the covenant meal. When the covenant meal is completed, the covenant partners are called friends. Friends. The word friend means a whole lot more than we give the word credit for in our English language. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 8 is an example. Let me turn there. Isaiah 41 and verse 8. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend. So when God called Abraham friend, what was he saying? We're covenant partners we're coming up partners abraham is my friend and then in exodus chapter 33 and verse 11 thus the lord used to speak to moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend to his friend. And when Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, son of none, a young man would not depart from the tent. So God and Moses were what? Friends. Abraham and God were friends. They were in covenant. Now, John chapter 15, dash over to the New Testament and John, at right before the book of Acts, John chapter 15 and verse 13. Jesus is speaking. I'll start in verse 12. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Then he says, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. For his friends. And then he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Why? Because we're in covenant. We're in covenant, so we're friends. Verse 15, No longer do I call you slave, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So here's the covenant relationship. We are friends with God. Friend is a covenant term. And so this chapter, John chapter 15, occurs after the institution of the Lord's Supper, after the first covenant meal. Now just real quick, I'll show you Psalm chapter 25, Psalm 25 and verse 14. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear Him, and He will make them know His covenant. So he says, what is is fearing the Lord? Fear is standing in awe of Him and hating sin. The Bible gives us those definitions of fearing the Lord. Standing in awe of Him and hating sin. And so he says, if you do that, you're going to know the secret of the Lord. I will make you know my covenant. We're going to know His covenant. Now, I want us to go one step further because I want you to think with me. If you and I are in covenant with Jesus, are we not then in covenant with one another? You're in covenant with Him. Each one of you is in covenant with Him. I'm in covenant with Him, so that makes us in covenant with one another, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Uh, If we are... What then should be our behavior toward one another? What should the behavior of believers as covenant partners and the kingdom of God be toward one another? It doesn't matter what church you're in. You're in the kingdom if you're a Christian. So what should, how should, we, what should we look like? Well, we get a couple of hints of that if we turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. And verse 38, Peter is speaking, and he said to them, repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus because of the forgiveness of your sins. Now the translation says for the forgiveness of your sins, that's kind of misleading because in the original language it's because of. You're going to be baptized because you have been forgiven of your sins. The baptizing doesn't save you. You with me? And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children. And for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to Himself. And with many other words He solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation." So then, those who had received His Word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they were, watch this, continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, watch the covenant, and everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, fear of the Lord, worship, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Look at verse 44. And all who had believed were together and had all things in common. That's what covenant looks like. That means if I have a need and you can meet that need as covenant partners, you're going to do all you can do to help me meet that need. I'm excited about your church. You all do that so well with the food bank, with the food you all give away when people have needs. That's what I hear about you is that you're giving to people who have needs. That's covenant. And that's what this looks like. Then Acts chapter 4 and verse 33. And with great power the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all, for there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Covenant. Covenant. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints." Now skip down to verse 13. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their want, and their abundance also may become a supply for your want, that there may be equality. So what are they saying? We're going to share. We're going to help each other. We're going to build each other up. We're going to help supply one another's needs. That's what it means to be in covenant. Now let me ask you a question. Should a child of God ever have to go outside the church to have his, needs or, his or her needs met? We're messed up in this country because the first people go is to where is the government. But in covenant... The first one to be there meeting the needs is to be the church. So we're in covenant with the Lord Jesus. We've exchanged everything with him. He has us. We have him. And that is a secure relationship. Now, I want to take it a little farther tonight, and this is really just kind of a, an overview, a skimming over of a lot of material that could take a long time. And and what I want to do is I hope it whets your appetite to study on your own. All right? So I want to first of all talk for a few minutes about the Abrahamic covenant. There's some major covenants in Scripture. We're going to look at three of them. You probably know most about probably the covenant God made with Noah. Remember the covenant God made with Noah? There was a sign of the covenant. What's the sign of the covenant that God made with Noah? The rainbow. And God said, when, when you see the rainbow, it He didn't say you, it makes you remember. He said, when you see a rainbow, I'm remembering that I will not destroy the earth by water again. So there's a sign of the covenant. Now let's look for the Abrahamic covenant for a few minutes. Remember from our very first week, the Abrahamic covenant. And in Genesis 12, God called Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldees and promised to bless him and to make of him a great nation. In Genesis 15, Abram still had no son. And he inquired of God as to the matter, and God assured him that he would have a son and that his descendants would be numerous like the stars in the heavens. Then the scripture says, And Abram believed, and God counted it to him as righteousness. What did he do to become righteous? He believed. He believed. Now, I want to turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. This is a great summary of Abraham. What shall we say? then, that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned, or credited to him, as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing upon the man whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sins the Lord will not take into account. Is this blessing upon the circumcised or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it reckoned? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while he was circumcised, but while he was uncircumcised. Now what he's showing us here is that it is all by faith. This is God's work. Abraham wasn't counted righteous, because he was circumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be reckoned to them. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be an heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath. But where there is no law, neither is there more violation. For this reason it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, A father of many nations have I made you. In the sight of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist." In hope against hope he believed in order that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak in the faith... He contemplated his own body, now good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, in the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what he had promised he was also to, able to perform. Therefore, it was reckoned or credited to Abraham as righteousness." Now not for his sake only was it written that it was reckoned to him but for our sake also to whom it will be reckoned as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our lord from the dead he who delivered he who was delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification Now Galatians chapter 3 and verse 6 Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify or declare righteous the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Guess what? You and I are blessed because Abraham was Amen. blessed and because the covenant included the descendants. So on that day, on the day that Abraham believed God, on that day, righteousness was imputed or credited to Abram by faith. When God made the promise of the seed, Abraham believed him. Now, we need to talk about that word believe for just a minute. In the Hebrew, the word is hemen. You spell it H-E-E-M-E-N. And it means unqualified committal of oneself to another it doesn't mean that I read about him in an encyclopedia and believe in my head that he existed. This kind of belief is a submission of my life to something. So when Abraham believed God, what he was doing was he's saying, I submit my life to you. I'm entering into covenant with you. I lay down my life before you. It is unqualified committal of oneself to another. And so Abraham's saying, here I am, Lord. No strings attached. So it was not mere intellectual assent. Now today in our culture, many times we want to take that word believe and make it something very shallow. Sure I believe in Jesus. I read about him in a history book. No. That's not this kind of belief. This is not head belief. This is heart Amen. submission. This is heart belief. And so when Abram did that, God declared him righteous. Guess what? When we do that, God declares us righteous. When we fall down before the Lord to give ourselves to Him in that unqualified committal, when we enter into that covenant and say, I am yours, Lord, then He declares us righteous. Now, in Genesis 17, remember, God changed His name. He changed His name from Abram to Abraham. Abraham. And he changed Sarai's name to Sarah. He put an H, part of his name, into both of those names. So God made an everlasting covenant with Abraham and his seed that God would be their God. And it also included the land of Canaan. The covenant with Abraham was basically promised two things seed and land. And God promised Abraham the land. Now, remember that this covenant required circumcision. Remember that it was the site of paternity. God says you're going to mark it for all of the descendants. And so Abraham then bore in his flesh the evidence that he and his generations after him had entered into covenant with the Lord. Abraham received God as the God of his descendants. Abraham, by faith, did that. And so Exodus chapter 4 then sheds a little bit light on the fact that that was serious. Exodus chapter 4. So God said to Abraham, All of the generations following will be circumcised. All of your males will be circumcised to remind you that I will be God of all of your descendants. Well, Exodus chapter 4 and verse 20. Moses messed up. Exodus chapter 4, verse 20. Verse 19. Now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and mounted them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. Moses also took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart, so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I said to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me, but you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your firstborn. Now, it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. God was about to kill Moses. Watch, why? Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin. She circumcised him and threw it at Moses' feet. And she said, You are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So God let him alone. At that time she said, You are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Now, this sheds light on God's reaction to Moses. Because what was Moses messing up? The message to the rest of the generations that Abraham had made a covenant with God that would include all of his descendants. Moses was a descendant a child of the covenant, and he had neglected to circumcise his own firstborn son. And he was about to go and into Egypt to perform miracles, and God said, you go tell Pharaoh this is what I'm doing. But something was messed up there because Moses had not been faithful to the covenant. I believe that for Moses to have had the power that God wanted to use him for, he had to be in proper covenant with the Lord. And so, God nearly killed him. But Moses was spared when his wife, that happens a lot of times, doesn't it? Yes. When his wife stepped up and said, I'll take care of this. That's right. All right? And God honored it, and He did not kill Moses. God tested Abraham's faithfulness to the covenant. Now, remember that those who were in blood covenant had to be ready to give not only their lives for each other, but to give for each other that which was dearer to them than life itself. Abraham was called upon to lay down his son Isaac. Now Abraham and God are in covenant. Did God have the right to ask for that? Yes. Yes. And if Abraham's going to be faithful to the covenant, what's he going to have to do? Give Isaac to God but God proved Abraham. We saw, we read about how God met Abraham, but God, Abraham faithfully laid Isaac on the altar because he was in covenant with God. And a covenant relationship supersedes all other relationships. Yes, yes. So more evidence of the faithfulness of God was seen when the seed of Abraham was in bondage in Egypt. Now remember all of these Israelites are in bondage in Egypt. And that's who God told Moses, you go in there and tell him, I said to let my people go. And so Moses is on his way in there to do that. And so these are descendants of Abraham who were in there. And the Lord is going to bring that seed to the promised land because God gave him what? A seed and land. He gave him the seed, the descendants, and the Lord Jesus was the capital S seed. He gave him descendants, the seed, but he also promised the land of Canaan. And so the Lord said, you go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And so when he wouldn't, what is the Lord doing? He is defending the seed. He's defending the descendants of Abraham. And so one plague after another, he kept on and Moses kept telling him, let my people go. And he kept on not doing it until finally he got to the place where he said, y'all just need to get on out of here. He was glad for them to go after a while, wasn't he? But the Lord is interacting because what? He is defending the seed of Abraham. He is de- he is he is protecting the descendants, the seed of Abraham, in that whole thing. And so, here's how the Lord let him out. What did he say? You put the blood on the doorpost of every house of a descendant of Abraham. You put the blood of a sacrificed lamb, firstborn lamb, on the doorpost of every household of a descendant of Abraham. And when I pass through, destroying. I will skip over you because they're children of the covenant. Now, what I want you to see from this through all of these years of history, how faithful God is to keep covenant. God is not going to break covenant. He's going to keep covenant. He's going to do it. And he did it all through here. And let me just ask you a quick question. He promised the Jews of the land of Canaan. And um, I'm not smart enough to keep up with what all goes on in Israel and all the fight over the land. But let me ask you this question Do you reckon when it's all said and done, God's word's going to be true? That's right. Amen. I agree. I agree. Because God is not going to break covenant. And he said to Abraham, I will give your descendants, this land. And ever how he's going to do it, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. Now, finally, about 400 years after God cut covenant with Abraham, the Jews finally got to Mount Sinai. Got in there, finally. And what happened was a whole new era began. Moses had been given the law, the Ten Commandments. And the people had looked at the law and said, Yeah, yes, we'll do that. Yeah, we can do that. Now turn with me to Exodus chapter 24. Now watch, and you're going to recognize from our study what's going on here. Exodus 24, beginning in verse 1. Then God said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aram, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and you shall worship at a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people come up with him. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. And then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, Mount Sinai, with twelve pillars for the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient." So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nahab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel, and under His feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself." yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. Watch it. And they beheld God, and they did what? Ate and drank. What did they do? They had a covenant meal. So they entered into a covenant of law. And they said, well, we're going to do this. So you can call it the covenant of law, you can call it the Mosaic covenant, or you can call it the Old Testament. The Old Covenant was made. Now, that did not change the Abrahamic Covenant. It was a rule for living for the people that were already in covenant under Abraham. This was to be the holy living, the way that people of God would live who were descendants of Abraham that God was going to be God of. And so, one of the purposes of the law was to make clear the holiness which should characterize the lives of the people who are in covenant with God. What did he say? No idolatry. Well, they messed up that one right quick, didn't they? Okay. No idolatry. Parents were honored. No stealing. No murder. No adultery. And that's what God's people were supposed to look like and be characterized by. But they misinterpreted the purpose of the law. They thought that they could become righteous by keeping the law instead of like Abraham had become righteous by what? Faith. So they got all messed up in trying to seek righteousness by their own good deeds instead of by faith. A further word came from God through the prophet Jeremiah. And this was good news, especially after they discovered that they could not keep the Ten Commandments. They could not keep the law of God. They couldn't do that. Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 31. Jeremiah 31, 31. Look what he says. The Lord is speaking here. He says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Watch what he's going to do. I will put my law within them. And on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach again, each man his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more." Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is His name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also shall shall cease from being a nation before me forever." Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured, and if the fountains of the earth searched out below, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel, for all they have done, declares the Lord. Now, neither one of those things is going to happen, is it? Okay? He says, verse 38, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate. And the measuring line shall go out farther straight ahead of the hill of Garib, and then it will turn to Goa. And the whole valley of the dead bodies and of the ashes and all the fields, as far as the brook of Kidron, to the corner of the horse gate, toward the east, shall be holy to the Lord. It shall not be plucked up or overthrown anymore forever. God is going to protect the land that He promised to Abraham. He's going to do it. Now, chapter 32. Let me get you to go to chapter 32, verse 40. There in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 40. Watch it. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. And I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will faithfully plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I brought all this great disaster on this people, so I'm going to bring on them all the good that I'm promising them. And fields shall be bought on this land of which you say it is a desolation without man or beast. It is given to the hand of the Chaldeans." Men shall buy fields for money, sign and seal deeds, and call in witnesses in the land of Benjamin, in the environs of Jerusalem, in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the hill country, in the cities of the lowland, in the cities of the Negev, for I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. Now the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. Here's God again describing the new covenant, the new covenant. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances." Now, what is this? The new covenant is the New Testament. Under this covenant, all sins are gone. There's no longer any condemnation to those who enter into this covenant with the Lord. You become His, He becomes yours, It is an everlasting covenant, and right there in that covenant is where the Christian has eternal security. Right there. The new covenant brings holiness and power, how? By the indwelling Holy Spirit. What kind of spirit? Holy Spirit. He imparts by His Spirit holiness to us. The new covenant places us in Christ and places God's Spirit within us forever. Shall I say it again? The new covenant places us in Christ and His Spirit within us. For how long? Forever. Covenant. We become one. One. I am his, he is mine. The Abrahamic covenant promised the seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they went on to make a covenant that would include all of the descendants of Abraham. We are descendants of Abraham if we believe what Abraham believed. Right? And believe doesn't just mean in my head, believe is unqualified committal mm-hmm. to God. So there's the Abrahamic covenant. Then there was the covenant of law. What does the covenant of law do? It shows us that we need a savior. It shows us that we can't be righteous on our own. I look at I look at the law and no, I can't do this. I already messed up before I even knew it. And then the new covenant gives us the holiness of God and the desire to do His will. He puts that in us with the Holy Spirit. Here's the summary. No matter how hard I try, I cannot become righteous on my own. I cannot set myself free from the penalty of sin and death. I cannot do it. Nobody can do it on his own. So, what do I do? I cry out, What must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas answered that question for the Philippian jailer. Remember what they said? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. How am I saved? I do what Abraham did, I believe. Unqualified committal of myself to him. John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his most treasured thing because of the covenant. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever, what? Believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God has done everything else. We only have to do one thing. Belief. Unqualified Camille. Remember that in believing, I give myself to him. I surrender to him. That's what belief is. So that word belief shows, shows up over, over, over again. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. When we believe God as Abraham believed him, with that unqualified committal of our lives, we surrender to God, we accept what He says about sin, We by faith receive his free gift of salvation through his son Jesus Christ. And when we do that, he puts the Holy Spirit in us and declares us righteous. His work, he does it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Doesn't say it's hard. He doesn't say without faith, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to please Him. He says without faith, it is what? Impossible Impossible to please Him. Impossible to please Him. So, summarizing. If I am of faith, I am a descendant of Abraham. If I have faith in Jesus Christ, I am a child of God. I am a part of the covenant that God made with Abraham. My heart has been circumcised. The Spirit is within me. The law has been written on my heart. Sometimes you just know if something's wrong, even if you can't quote a verse about it, right? The law is written on our hearts. I am a joint heir with Christ. All that is his is mine. I can cry, Abba, Father. My sins are forgiven. And like Mephibosheth, remember Mephibosheth? I dine at the king's table regularly. All of those things are ours as children of God. We belong to him. We have a covenant partner who is our strength, our character, our protector, our defender, our wealth. So I have to ask myself some questions. Jesus asks for total binding commitment. My question is, have I given that to him? Have I given him a commitment with no strings attached? Have I died to independent living? Where are those places in my life that I still want to do it my way? Does my covenant with Christ have preeminence over all other relationships? Ooh, I'm just going to tell you, I confess my heart to you. I know God gives you the grace to do what you have to do, but I don't know that I could have done what Abraham did when he put Isaac on the altar. I ain't there yet. Whose image do I bear? Whose image do I bear? Compassion and loving kindness and friends are covenant words. <clears throat> Those things ought to drip off of the body of Christ. And yet we hear and see all of these churches and congregations, yang, yeah, yang, yeah, yang, yeah, They split. They do this. They fuss. They hmm. We're gonna mess up because compassion and loving kindness flow from the throne of God. And when those things flow from the throne of God, then I need to allow that to flow through me. And that includes now. You know, I, I can think of a. I can use an excuse and say, well, maybe they're not a covenant partner. But you know how it is when you're driving down the road and somebody pulls out in front of you and you're... I sit up and think, you know what? That may be a covenant partner. Loving kindness needs to flow. Yeah. <laughs> Lord, help me. But those are attitudes that covenant partners are supposed to have for one another. Covenant partners. Covenant partners. That also needs to to mean, I think, that we need to live in such a way that it ought not be hard to identify who the covenant partners are. Because sometimes you get with somebody and you think, well, I don't know here. Right? Oh, that the word and the love and the compassion and the loving kindness of the Lord would drench through his people. And if that would happen, we wouldn't be seeing all the stuff we're seeing on television. The truth of covenant is one of the most precious of all truths. I think the first time that I ever studied the blood covenant, it's been many years ago, it's probably been 35, 40 years ago. Yes, I'm old. (laughs) It was the first time that it really dawned on me in a new way that God was committed to me. And He's not committed to me because of me. He's committed to me because He is a covenant-keeping God. Yes. Yes. It's not based on my character. It's based on His And it is one of the most precious truths of all Scripture. It's when we understand what it is to be in covenant with God and in covenant with God's people. We will never know life unless we enter into a covenant with God. Cannot know life apart from covenant with God. I want to close with Hebrews chapter 13. It's a blessing, and I want to, by way of the Lord, pronounce this blessing on you, beginning in verse 20. Now, the God of peace, the God of what? God of peace, God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in everything to do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever.
0: Amen. We pray that you have been richly blessed by today's message.